really excited about uh, our time together tonight. And before I jump in, I just want to let you know, next third Wednesday, so the third Wednesday in November, we are having a guy named Caleb Kaltenbach come. And he's going to be doing our seminar, and it's on LGBTQ um, sort of questions and how to interact with people in a loving and truthful way um, who may be wrestling with LGBTQ types of questions and issues. So I want to encourage you to come back to that one as well. Uh, tonight, uh, we're diving into the subject on spiritual warfare. And my hope is that for us, this is far more than an academic pursuit, um, that there would be a sense of gravitas uh, tonight as we go to the scriptures to try to ask the question, God, how do we live in this world in a way that honors the world that you've created and helps us to live in your way with your heart? I I'm convinced that this is a subject that's of not only extreme importance in a very temporal way in our lives right now, but also in an eternal way. Um, let me just give a little bit of framework for where we're going. Uh, this is not a sermon, it's a, it's a seminar, it's more of a, a teaching, and so um, if you're expecting a sermon, I just want to disappoint you early, so um, your expectations are in place. At times, this will get a bit nerdy, um, for those of you that enjoy that. Um, I'm going to chase a few rabbit trails, and, and I invite the questions to help tease out some of the things that we talk about, because we're going to leave some time at the very end in order to ask those. Um, I, I think we ran out of handouts. Is that right, Josh? Oh, we have some more. Thank you so much. We do have more handouts. So um, you'll notice that that's pretty much just a blank piece of paper, uh, but it does have a QR code on it that you can uh, hop on and ask questions through, uh, through the website. So let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, do you want to lift up your hand if you need one? Is that what you're doing, Lynette? Or are you going to take an offering? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. If you need one, raise your hand. Um, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Be our teacher, lead us, guide us. Lord, I, I just pray that this would be a, a place tonight where we could really hear your voice. God, would you open our eyes? Show us more of who you are. Show, show us a better picture of who we are in you. Lord, I pray that there would be a new awareness of the authority that we have as your followers, that, the, that we would walk out of here believing that he who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. So be our teacher, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me give you a, a pathway of where we're going tonight, and um, you can write down as much or as uh, little of this as you want. I'll post the uh, slide deck for you. You can find it on our YouTube channel in the comment section. Uh, this is streaming live on there. So once this is over, we'll post all of these. And so you can write down as much or as little as you'd like or as is helpful to you. But here's sort of the pathway of where we're going um, over the next uh, few minutes tonight. I want to start off by talking about cosmology. That's just a study of the, the world that we live in, the universe that we happen to inhabit. I want to talk about conflict. I want to talk about victory. I want to talk about the battleground. And I want to talk about warfare. And if you're wondering, well, Ryan, this is a seminar on 
spiritual warfare, and you're just going to talk about that at the very end. It really, the whole thing is really about warfare, but we're going to zero in on what that means practically towards the end of our time together tonight. So let's start off by talking about cosmology. Like I said, that's a, a study of the universe, the world that we live in, origins, as it were. And in so many ways, I don't know that we would necessarily need to start here if we were born in, like, say, Africa. Um, but we need to start here um, because many of us were born in the West. And so we were educated in the West. And like me, you probably grew up um, with a good understanding of the scientific method, right? And so what's observable, what's measurable, what's repeatable. And in many ways, we equated what's scientifically measurable, repeatable, and observable with what's true, right? And so if it's not true, or if it's not scientific, quote-unquote, it's not, it's not true, it's not real. And yet, and yet, as we look to the scriptures to say, God, what kind of world do we live in? What we find is that we live in a world that's not just material in nature. Have you noticed this as you read through the Bible? <laughs> Please say yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's on almost every single page that there is more th th to what's real and true than just simply what we can see and what we can touch. What we might call it the spiritual world or the spiritual realm, that this is a very real um, and active part of the cosmos, the, the world that we live in. And if we don't recognize that, I believe that we will be defeated before we even get off the ground. If we have just a, a materialistic worldview, we'll never be able to engage the world that the scriptures actually invite us to walk in. It was uh, C.S. Lewis who uh, now famously and sort of poignantly said in the very beginning of Screwtape Letters, which is one of the recommended resources that I'll talk about towards the end. He said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Do you, you see what he's saying? That you can either be obsessed with the quote-unquote devils or demons or the, the spiritual, the evil spiritual world, or you can be totally ignorant of it. And he says that, that the, the demons themselves are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. As if to say the enemy's really happy if you go to either extreme, obsess about it or ignore it. Now, if I had to sort of take a, a gauge on our sort of our, our current culture, church, etc., my guess is if we're closer to one side of the pendulum than the other, it would be we're closer to the side of the materialist than the magician. Most of us. Most of us. And that's just because of the world that we have grown up in. So let's try our best to get our cosmology from the scriptures uh, rather than other places that we would look. What, what kind of world do the scriptures tell us we live in? Well, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the first page. And if you're thinking, wow, this is going to be a long night, you have no idea. We're starting on page one, right? And it says this, in the beginning, say it with me, church. God, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God is a main character all throughout 
the scriptures. But this word God, if you were to look up this word God in the Hebrew uh, Bible, which is the original language that this was written in, it's the word, does anybody know? Elohim. Elohim. And really, that word Elohim is, um, we, we think of it as a name, God, but really Elohim is more of a title than it is a name. And so that word Elohim is a little bit, um, we could say maybe a little bit squishy. Let me give you six ways that word Elohim is used. It's used 2,700 times in the Bible. Now, a thousand of those times are plus or minus, right? Plus or minus. It's used in reference directly to Yahweh. So Yahweh, and if, you're, if you have an English Bible in the Old Testament, when you read Lord in all uppercase letters, typically it's translating the name Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is a name, it's not a title. The title is Elohim. And Elohim is simply a spiritual being that has a lot of power, okay? So, a thousand plus times it's used as um, in reference to Yahweh. A number of times, and, and one of these times is in uh, Psalm 82, verses 1 and 6. It's used in reference to some of Yahweh's council members. Did you know that Yahweh had council members? Uh, other times it's used as foreign lowercase g gods. Demons are referred to as Elohim also. Spirits are Elohim. 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 13 is a reference on that. Angels are also referred to as quote unquote Elohim. Now, this, this sort of dump truck term Elohim in the New Testament, because the New Testament was written in Greek, we have uh, different names that these spiritual forces go by. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 uses the terms rulers and authorities and cosmic powers who preside over this present darkness, spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Now this, this term God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is a reference to the creator God whose name is Yahweh. He's the God who's above all of the lowercase g gods. But I take you down a little rabbit trail in regards to this word Elohim, just to say that there are other very real, very powerful spiritual beings in the world that we live in. Yahweh is the God above all gods. He's the creator of it all. But there are other gods who, lowercase g gods, spiritual beings who have power. And if you, you're, you're a little bit ahead of me, if you're going, and Ryan, not all of those lowercase g gods are good, right? Like there, some of them are, are evil, some of them are absolutely bent on your destruction, and one of their names is, um, oh, there's the, I forgot I wrote those down for you, the six uses of Elohim in scripture. There it is, all right. Um, one of their names is the devil. You've read about him. So according to the scriptures, the devil is real. <laughs> um, he, is a, he is the chief over the demonic forces. He's also referred to in the scriptures as the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the prince of the air, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon, the ancient serpent. The devil's the leader of the spiritual army of darkness that is absolutely hell-bent, pun intended, on your destruction. He has other demons at his command. 
And in many ways, uh, Martin Luther was absolutely right a few centuries ago when he wrote, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us, and a mighty fortress is our God. That, that, I, I want to give us a framework to start to think about this world that we live in. It is absolutely charged to the brim with spiritual activity. This is not just a material world. There are angels, there are demons, there are good spirits, there are evil spirits. The good spirits are partnering with Yahweh to bring you life and goodness and wholeness. The evil spirits are partnering with the devil to cause death, destruction, and ruin in your life. Welcome to the world. That's the world that the scriptures paint. And we're, we're sort of toying with this a little bit, but this is a world that is in, in conflict. In conflict. I think in so many ways you could summarize the scriptures in general as a conflict between Yahweh and these other lowercase g gods. Now certainly the Old Testament is a, is a, a, a book of a battle, Yahweh versus the other lowercase g gods. Let me, let me give you a great example. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. And I'm just going to point out a few things for you. We're not going to do a deep dive into Exodus, but when the nation of Israel is in captivity in Egypt, I would argue that what goes on in the freeing of the Israelites from captivity is spiritual warfare. It's a battle between Yahweh and the other lowercase g gods. Look at one of the plagues. The Nile River is turned into blood. But if you do a little bit of study, what you find out is that the Nile was the source of the Egyptians' life, and the Nile was divinized by the Egyptians. So turning it into blood was not just a yucky inconvenience for the Egyptian people, it was a defeat, of the first defeat of the Egyptian pantheon. You look at the plague of the frogs. The frogs come out of the Nile and they multiply like rabbits. I mean, so why pick frogs? Well, because the Egyptian goddess of fertility was depicted by the head of a frog. So Yahweh controls this goddess and turns her against her own Egyptian people. The goddess is essentially a puppet on a string. This is warfare. The plague of darkness. You may be aware of this, that one of the main gods in the Egyptian pantheon was the god Ra. He was the sun god. And so in, for the sun to be blotted out and for there to be complete and utter darkness in the middle of the day, Yahweh is flexing his muscles saying, I'm a bigger, better god than Ra. Okay, now, if you're starting to ask the question, so wait, Ryan, like rewind a little bit. Are you telling me that Ra is an Elohim? Like that Ra isn't just a figment of the figment of the Egyptians' imagination, but that maybe this is a spiritual being that has very real spiritual power? I would say yes. Yeah, that's an absolute possibility. And that Yahweh is essentially flexing his muscles over Ra. Daniel chapter 10. Does anybody know what Daniel chapter 10 is about? 
Daniel chapter 10 is one of the most fascinating chapters in the entire Bible. I mean, it's one where you read it and you go, yeah, I got to come back to that tomorrow. So, so Daniel chapter 10 is, I, I would argue in so many ways, it is a picture of the spiritual world that sort of pulls the, the curtains back a little bit and gives us a view in. In Daniel 10, there's this crazy story about Daniel praying and his prayers going unanswered for three weeks. Jogging, is this jogging anybody's memory? Okay. And finally, an angel comes to him, sent by Yahweh, and says, sorry I was late, my alarm didn't go off. No, that's not what he said. Okay, that's not what he said. Sorry I was late, but I got into a fight with the prince of the Persian kingdom, and he resisted me for 21 days. The prince, in this case, in in Daniel 10, is some kind of spiritual being who has some sort of covering or prominence or jurisdiction over the Persian Empire. And as he's leaving, he also, this angel also mentions, oh, by the way, there's a prince over Greece as well. So if you've ever heard of territorial spirits, have you heard that term? That, in many ways, we get this right out of Daniel chapter 10. And Yahweh is the, in the Old Testament, is the quote-unquote territorial God who rules over the nation and the land, the people of Israel. And these gods, lowercase g gods versus Yahweh, are in conflict. There are lowercase g gods or demons or whatever you want to call them over people and places. And in the Old Testament, these lowercase g gods have very real power and authority over geographic regions, over ethnic groups, or whatever, nations, however you want to term that. But this conflict changes in the New Testament if you're interested in um, how we can chase that rabbit trail during our question and answer time if you'd like. Um, changes in the New Testament, but, but the conflict isn't eliminated. Listen to what Jesus says. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I think in the, the thief, he's certainly talking about the chief of the demons, the, the devil, but all of his minions and all of the demons underneath him are bent on the exact same thing. They would love to steal, they would love to kill, and they would love to destroy. So the scriptures paint this picture of you and I living in this world, cosmology, that's charged with spiritual activity that's very, very real, even though we can't touch it. And there is a cosmic conflict going on between good and evil. There are spiritual beings that would love for you to experience life and goodness and God's mercy and grace to you. And then there are those who, as to quote Jesus, would love for you to be stolen from, to be killed, and eventually to be completely destroyed. Now, let me say this as, as, as directly as I can. Um, there is no such thing as Switzerland in the spiritual realm. Are we on the same page there? Do you know, does that, you picking up what I'm putting down? So there's no such thing as neutrality. You're either with the thief or you're with Jesus, but it's only one or the other. There's no, there's no third option that the scriptures paint. There's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light, and you are living in one or the other. So this is where that sense of of gravitas starts to come in. 
So cosmology, it's a spiritually charged world. Conflict, good and evil, um, God and the devil, however you want to look at it, it, are at conflict, at odds with one another, and you are choosing to live in one of two kingdoms. Victory. Victory. So Jesus was born as a baby, but I, and, and certainly that's a picture of incarnation, it's a picture of his humility, um, but it's not a picture of timidity. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus comes as a warrior. He comes in order to defeat the powers of darkness that would love to destroy your soul. And so, when John writes about his friend Jesus, listen to what he says. The reason the Son of God appeared. So when, he, when he's talking about incarnation, John says, okay, when, if we could boil it down to just one sentence, why did Jesus come? Here's what John says. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Merry Christmas. Right? This is why Jesus came. When... Um, when in the New Testament, when Luke is trying to give a summary for what Jesus did during his earthly ministry, listen to what he did in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. His he, was, he appeared in order to destroy the work of the devil, and then he goes around doing good and healing all who were, what? Oppressed. So, so Jesus is a warrior. He shows up in order to do battle with the enemy who would love to destroy your soul and ultimately sentence you to hell and eternal death. That, that is what he shows up to do. And so... Yes, he shows up as a baby. Yes, he dies on a cross. But all of that is so that he might defeat the devil and give you victory over the spiritual powers that would love to destroy your life. Now, let me just give you a little bit of scripture and context for that. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole New Testament. Um, this is yours too? Yeah, this is, is so good. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. And you, so that's a, that's a y'all, all y'all, for those of you that speak Texan, okay? And all y'all who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And we'll talk about why that's so important when it comes to spiritual warfare in just a moment. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here we go, here we go. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. <laughs> Praise be to God. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, Ryan, this is a really, this is going to be a really short seminar. Um, what war is there still left to wage? That's a great question. And I just want to let you know, I'm only on page four of 13. So there's a, there is a battle still to go. The war has been won, but your defeated enemy, the devil, all of his minions, all of his demons, however you want to look at it, 
continues to steal and kill and destroy, even though he knows, once again, to quote Martin Luther, his doom is sure. He knows he's a defeated enemy. And yet, he would love to try to take as many people down with him as possible. Okay, so cosmology, this is a spiritually charged world. Conflict, good and evil are going at it, and you are on one side or the other. And victory, Jesus has won victory through the cross. We'll talk more about that as we go on. The battleground. The battleground. So where and how does this battle that we call the spiritual battle take place? I think the best place to locate where the battleground is, is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. And listen to the way that the Apostle Paul writes about this. There's going to be three areas that he addresses the battle takes place. He says, and you were dead in, the trespass, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedient and among whom we once lived and in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, this is really, really, really important for us to grasp. The spiritual battle and the battleground takes place in the world. These are the enemies of the soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, let me take just a quick two-minute break, one-minute break, and um, commercial. This verse <laughs> sponsored this book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. It just came out a few weeks ago, and it is all about recognizing and resisting the three enemies that sabotage your peace, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I highly recommend it. I have it up here at, um, if you want to come check it out after uh, our time together tonight. It is a great book that unpacks the way that each one of these dynamics uh, functions in the spiritual life and in our pursuit of how to be followers of Jesus who live in his way with his heart. So the world and all of its systems, it's the way that the world quote-unquote works, right? The flesh, the desires that we have that often take us off course, yes? And the devil, our very real spiritual enemy. And so, in light of this, the, the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, listen to the way that Paul encourages, in the same letter, people to fight. If you want your own Bible so you can actually read it, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. If there's a quintessential passage of Scripture on spiritual warfare in the New Testament, I would argue this is it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, 18. Paul wrote this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I just time out. I'm going to preach a little bit, okay? Anytime we, wa we talk about the spiritual battle, we are not talking about our own strength. Let's just agree, if this is about our own strength, we're going to get our butts kicked every time. Like, you are no match for a spiritually powerful Elohim, okay? You, no match for a demon, no match, right? But, but you can be strong in his might. 
So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore. <laughs> oh my goodness, you guys, this is so good. Spiritual warfare isn't about taking new ground. Spiritual warfare is not about taking new ground. It's about learning to stand on the ground that Jesus has already taken. Notice, I've underlined it for you, so you will, okay? Stand. Withstand. Stand. Stand. Four times in four verses, Paul says, stand. Did you know that your fight is to stand? That's your fight. That's how we wage this war. That's how we win this battle. We stand on the ground that Jesus already took when he defeated the powers of darkness on the cross, made a spectacle of them, put them to open shame by triumphing over them. We stand in his victory. We don't fight for our own. That's what the spiritual battle is all about. But notice, notice, that standing isn't exactly easy because the devil has schemes. He, he has, in, in the Greek, it's methodologies. Methodius is a, quite literally what it is. And the plural of that word, and it is plural in the Greek as well, schemes, suggests that the attacks are constantly repeated and of an in, sort of incalculable variety. Have, have any of you ever read um, Screwtape Letters? Just raise your hand if you have. I think, this is, I think Screwtape Letters is one of the best books ever written, at least that I've read, on the schemes of the devil. Because uh, the last time I read it, I read it during COVID, which was actually quite poignant. Um, and so I'm reading it, right? And um, I'm, I'm just going, my goodness. I think some of this stuff is so normal and so ingrained. And what if, what if, it is the enemy's attack to seed your mind with condescending thoughts or judgmental little quips or a little glance here or there. What, man, my eyes were opened again. The schemes of the devil. Now, if you're going, okay, Ryan, what are the schemes of the devil? I'm so glad you asked that. Oh, because <laughs> I thought you were. Um, I'm going to ask it, and some of you did. Okay. Um, so here are some of the schemes of the devil according to the Bible. The devil works in active, and I would say the devil and his demons work in active opposition. Uh, just a quick time out. There's only one devil. Um, he is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful. He, he is limited in scope and yet very powerful. Okay? But there is only one devil, and he is not God's equal. Just raise your hand if, you, if you're with me on that. Okay, there's only one devil. He doesn't have the same powers as God. He's very powerful, but he is quite limited, and he is, well, already defeated. But he's still fighting. So, the schemes of the devil. He works in active opposition to the gospel. He can be the source of sickness. 
He can incite paralyzing fear of death. And I'm giving you verse citations here because I know at Emmanuel Faith we love the Bible. And I know some of you are here just to see how weird this is going to get. Um, but, so I just wanted to point you back. I'm just, this is just scripture, okay? Um, he plants sinful plans and purposes in the minds of people. On occasion, he himself will indwell a person. This is Judas. John chapter 13, we're going to talk about that this weekend. He sets a snare or trap for people, perhaps with a view to exploit and, intensi- and intensify their sinful inclinations. He tests or tries Christians. Uh, he incites persecution, imprisonment, and the political oppression of believers. I, I, bet, he often, he, I bet he also incites like, political chaos and division. Hard for us to imagine that. Just imagine, if you could, political division and chaos. Maybe he's behind it, right? He's the accuser, accuser of Christians. He performs signs and wonders to deceive the nations. Uh, he seeks to silence the witness of the church. He seeks to incite disunity and division. He promotes false doctrine. He influences the thoughts of actions of unbelievers. He attacks married believers in regards to their sexual relationships. He exploits our sinful decisions, most likely by intensifying the course of action we've already chosen. He confronts us with various temptations. So, that's just a few I mean, we could keep going. I'm sure that there are more in Scripture. It isn't necessarily an exhaustive list. But when Paul writes, we wrestle, and, and that, that, that's his word, we fight, we wrestle. He's sort of, it, the picture is of somebody in hand-to-hand combat with their enemy. He says, we wrestle not against, what? Not against flesh and blood. And I think that this is so important, you guys, because the point is not, Paul's point is not to deny that we have earthly and human antagonists. Paul's a realist. He's not going to bury his head in the sand and go, let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya. He has friends who have been put on Roman crosses and killed. So, so he gets what's going on in his world. The point is that even if we have conflict with other people, what lurks behind that conflict are the efforts of the enemy, of Satan, of very real spiritual forces. But never, 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 never are other human beings our ultimate ener- enemy. Are we all on the same page there? Picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. So, we live in a world that is full of spiritual conflict. Jesus has won the victory. He's inaugurated the kingdom of God. He sent out his first followers with a charge and with spiritual authority. And listen to what he said to them. Behold, I have given you, say this word with me church, authority, power, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt. 
In light of all that we've talked about this evening, can you imagine how encouraging this must have been for the early followers of Jesus? Now, he didn't promise them that it was going to just be all hunky-dory and it was going to be amazing and they were always going to come out on top in an earthly type of a way. They got their butts kicked often, right? And he told them they would. And yet, he also says, I've given you authority and you have power over the enemy. And I just want to invite you to look up at me for just a moment. The Spirit of God lives in you. You have authority too. You have power. Jesus' power to operate in and to live out the same calling that he gave to his original disciples. So, how do we continue this ministry of Jesus? The ministry that he sent his first followers out on. Um, and that's where we get to warfare. Warfare. Let me just uh, back up a little bit and read a quote from, uh, his name's Dr. Gary Brashears. He's a professor at um, Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. And listen to what he said. He said, the principle of authority is that we are in the kingdom of Christ. Jesus is Lord and exalted far above all powers and authorities. Satan and his forces have no actual legal authority over the believer. Despite his claims and how much he may take advantage of our sin, our unbelief, our weakness, our ignorance, or fear, he is disarmed. We are members of the kingdom of light, and therefore all sins were forgiven, all condemnation is ended, all cultic vows, promises, and covenants, etc. were rendered null and void when we came into Christ's kingdom and his authority. One must never compromise this principle by agreeing with the demonic claim that sin gives the demon actual legal authority to invade a believer or attack it, attach itself to your soul or body. Believe God, disbelieve Satan, stand firm in Jesus, resist the devil. Let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. Yeah, praise God. Yeah. I'll uh, mention Dr. Bashir's in just a few moments as, uh, during the close. So warfare, how do we do it? Well, Paul continues to write about how to stand. Remember, this is stand, 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 withstand, stand, four times. Stand, therefore, that's the fourth stand. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let me give you, um, I'm going to give you, I think, five ways that Jesus would call us to stand and they are ways that we do warfare. Number one, faith. Faith. Trust in Jesus is the foundation of the victory. If the victory is his, then it makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> that we would step into that victory through faith in him. Paul claims that faith is the very thing that extinguishes the darts of the evil one, right? So there's a reason in Jude chapter 3, or Jude verse 3, we're called to contend for the faith. Paul says, I fought the good fight of, of faith, thank you, of 
Faith, right, yeah. I fought the good fight of faith. It's absolutely central to the life that we want to live. Did you know, did you know that there are only two times in the Gospels that the Gospel writers tell us Jesus was amazed by something? Two times. Number one, Jesus was amazed. It says, when he heard this, he was amazed at him. This is the centurion who longs for his servant to be healed. And he says, just say the word, Jesus, and I trust it. He'll be healed. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd and following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Did you know that faith can amaze Jesus? You know what else amazes Jesus? Also, faith. Or lack thereof. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, amongst his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there. Like, like this is a passage to dig into, huh? Like, I, you, you could study this, you could write a doctoral dissertation on this one. He couldn't do any miracles there. Except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Don't you love it? <laughs> like, that's JV for Jesus. Like, gosh, if you guys only had some faith, I could do some real miracles. Guess I'm just going to have to heal, right? But whatever. He was amazed, it says, at their lack of faith. Only two times in the scriptures, Jesus is amazed at something. Both times by faith. One time by the faith that this man has. Another time at the, their lack of faith. And I just started to think, okay, Lord, um, is there, are you amazed by my faith? Are you amazed by my lack of faith? In line with this, faith or trust in Jesus, I would add a, a pretty strong sort of sub-point of, along with this means we, we repent we repent when we see that we're wrong. We confess our sin when we're off, when it's revealed to us, when we see it. It's a constant trust in Jesus as Lord and Rabbi to say, I believe that you are right. You have my life. I surrender to you. I always tell people that confession is two things. It's a platform to be honest and it's a pathway to come home. And confession is one of the main things for the spiritual life of the believer for, to walk in spiritual victory and spiritual warfare. And so as we talk about, as we talk about faith, part of this is the conviction, all of your sins have been forgiven. All of them, past, present, future. One of the things the enemy would love to do is see doubt in your mind that you are a child of God. And so we stand in Jesus when we say, I trust you. I trust your person and I trust your work. And I stand on the completed work of the cross in relationship with you, right standing with you, regardless of how messed up my life feels right now. That's warfare. Here's the second thing. Identity. Identity. Because everything flows from who you are. It's really interesting. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you get to Matthew um, chapter 
3, and it says that um, that Jesus is uh, baptized and he hears his father's voice from heaven. Do you remember what his father says over him as he's coming out of the waters? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. If you just go one more chapter, you get to chapter 4. And what you see, oh, I didn't write that one down. What you see in Matthew chapter 4 is, it says this, the tempter or the devil or the enemy came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God. I, I know your father said it. I heard him too, but prove it. Prove it. Why don't you prove something that you've been freely given? Which, oh, come on, you guys. How often do we fall prey to that still used tactic of the enemy? Why don't you prove that you're really a son of God? That, that screw up, that mess up, that sin certainly suggests that you're not. Why don't you pull up your own bootstraps and, and make sure you can get the job done? I love the way that Rob Reimer in his great little book called Spiritual Authority said, spiritual authority is rooted in identity and it's expanded in intimacy. If you want spiritual authority in your life, cultivate intimacy with the one who has victory. It is absolutely essential. So this is why the Satan will try to erode a sense of identity in you. You just need to know that. That, that's, that should be an assumed reality for every follower of Jesus. Satan is going to try to erode my sense of identity and calling and chosenness in Christ. He will do things like try to persuade you that you're a failure, that you're a fool, that you're of no use to God or anybody else, that you're worthless, that you're an embarrassment to Christ, that you're a waste of time. It's a waste of time to confess your sins, that you're inferior to other believers, that you're destined to always fall short, and to never be a success, that you're a hopeful victim of your past, that you're hopeless to change your future, that you're a pathetic excuse for a Christian, that you're owned by Satan, that you are right now what you will always be, and that you are beyond the reach of God or prayer. And he will keep going after your identity because he knows if he can get you to try to prove for you who, who you already are or to earn who you already are or to disbelieve who God says you are, he knows if he can erode your identity, he will win the victory every single time. Every single time. And so, I think that means... Um, and I, I get this idea, I've got this idea from uh, a preacher uh, back in the early 20th century named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, we do, we, we do way too much listening to ourselves. We, we need to do more talking to ourselves. Like, like David says to his, himself, why are you downcast, O my soul? Like, Believe in God. Right? So like David's preaching to himself. He's going, why, why are you feeling that way, self? That's not of God. Like, step into who God has made you to be. I think we need to preach to ourselves more than we need to listen to ourselves sometimes. So, true uh, identity, faith, and then we talked about this a few uh, Sundays ago, truth. Lies 
are the enemy's greatest tactic and truth is your greatest defense. I won't go into too long of a diatribe about this, but we live in a, in a, a, a cacophony of lies, I would, I would argue. And so, my goodness, you guys, if, um, if you are not actively being transformed by the scriptures, by Jesus, through prayer, through silence, through solitude, if you are not actively tr- being transformed by the renewing of your mind, assume that you are being conformed to the pattern of the world. Just assume it. No guilt or shame in here, right? Like this isn't about making you feel guilty. It's about trying to open our eyes to what's true and what's really happening. That if we are not actively transforming our minds, we are being conformed to the pattern of this world. And that should scare us. Because the enemy's main tactic is lies. Listen to the way that Jesus said it in John chapter 8 when he was talking to the Pharisees. Um, He didn't make a lot of friends with this statement, but he said to them, um, You are of your father the devil. Oh man, like, this is like, to the religious elites of his day, right? And you you wonder why they're like picking up stones. Uh Uh-huh, keep talking, right? And your will is to do his desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me, Jesus says. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. He's saying there's a spiritual lineage of deceit that comes straight from, and ultimately its inception was with the devil. And when we believe lies, we step into his kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. And I would argue that the two great lies of the enemy are God's word cannot be trusted or God cannot be trusted and God doesn't have your best interest in mind. That's why the scriptures will press on us and say, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here's what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. He's saying, you've got to have a spiritual filter on your mind that causes everything to pass through it, and you have to ask the question, is this true? Is this true? Because I used this illustration in um, our sermon a few weeks ago, because every time we believe something, we drop a pin in the map of our mind, and we hit on our little um, Apple maps, we hit directions, go to that pin, and that's the way we live every day of our life. We are chasing different pins and our lives are going after them. And if those pins are dropped in lies, we are going to chase after them. We're going to shape our lives around them. And so scripture is going to call us over and over again to believe what's true. Next, resistance. Resistance. Victory doesn't come naturally It requires awareness and effort. 
It doesn't come naturally. It requires awareness and effort. That's why Peter wrote to the churches and said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. How do we resist him, Paul? What, how do we fight this battle, Peter? How do we fight this battle? This is going to sound really familiar, I hope. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by brotherhood all throughout the world. Resist him, firm in your faith. Right? Like This is a battle to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. All right, I'm going to skip a little there. Finally, uh, is this four or five? Five. Okay, I have six for you. I've got one after this. Deliverance. To activate authority over the enemy. Um, I, I would just want to say it like this. Demonization is real. And the church is charged with delivering people from the kingdom of darkness and ushering them into the kingdom of light. And if we, if we don't do this, or at least if we don't step into this, I don't think that we are fully living into what Jesus would have us do. Listen to the way he charged his disciples. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. He said, or John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, if all demons were automatically just cast out of people upon conversion, they wouldn't need to say this, would they? I would argue they wouldn't. John would not need to write that to the church. Did you know that for the first few hundred years of the church, one of the things that preceded uh, their catechism and entrance into the church and baptism was the driving out of demons that were in people before faith. Like this, is a, this was a normal part of church practice for the first few hundred years of the church. If you want two fascinating books on early church practice and history, Destroyer of the Gods by Larry Hurtado and uh, Patient Ferment of the Church by... Um, Alan Kreider are two phenomenal reads that talk about the way that the early church, church took demonization really, really seriously. So let me ask, answer a few questions that maybe you might have. Um, number one, how do spirits enter? How do spirits enter people or demonize people? I'm intentionally using the word demonize instead of uh, possess Possess can be, uh, have a connotation of ownership, and I would believe that followers of Jesus cannot be possessed by another spirit, but I believe that they can be oppressed, they can be demonized, they can be attacked. So I'm using uh, demonized in general, but um, in general, how do spirits enter? Through sin. Uh, through sexual sin, through drug abuse, through abuse that maybe you've suffered or a loved one has suffered, through occult activity, and through generational sins. These are all ways that people can be demonized and oppressed by the enemy. Second question, what are some symptoms of demonization? Now, I, I, I debated whether or not to put this up. Obviously, I decided to. 
what I want you to hear is that not every one of these symptoms is directly correlating to demonization, right? So if, you, if somebody is experiencing rage, it's not certainly they're demonized. They might just be really upset, okay? Some people hear voices. Some people experience rage. Some people feel tormented mentally. Some struggle with blasphemous thoughts, condemning thoughts, suicidal ideation, and self-harm. How do you get free from the demonic? All right, so here's first and foremost. Begin with the spiritual test. Um, in essence, remind yourself who you are. Remind the person that you're praying over who they are. Invite them to call on the name of Jesus. Because what John says in John chapter 4 verse 1 is that any spirit that's of God affirms Christ. So, remind yourself, remind the person of who they are. Recall the victory of Jesus. I would even read over Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Read 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. Remind yourself, First John chapter 4, verse 4, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Re remember, when you are dealing with the demonic, stand. Stand. Um, break ground. Ah, gosh, I wish I had more time to go into this. Uh, breaking ground is confession. Breaking ground is repentance. Breaking ground is revelation of secrets. Breaking ground is identification sometimes of curses, maybe even generational curses that have taken place in the lives of your family. It's about cleaning the place of your soul, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And then uh, tell the enemy to go wherever Jesus sends it. Once again, uh, Dr. Brashears, getting rid of demons in such cases is done by a believer using their authority in Christ to give a direct command to the demon. This must always be done in concert with the entrapped believer. So you're not doing this for somebody. Does that make sense? You're coming alongside. He says, it could be something as simple as, dear father, it is by your authority that we proceed to deliver, fill in the blank, by the power of Jesus. Or... Speaking to the demon in the name of Jesus and by his authority, I join with whomever is demonized in commanding you to leave, right? You have no right to be here. You're trespassing upon God's property. Get away. Or, Father, we pray that you will empower this rebuke we've just issued in Jesus' name. So some keys that I would just say. One, um, don't, don't go alone. Be spiritually prepared. This is where everything flows out of identity. Everything flows out of identity. Your authority is expanded through your intimacy with the Father. Exercise spiritual authority. Know who you are. No weapon formed against you can stand. Um, and then, don't, don't chase this kind of stuff. <laughs> if you're open, it'll come to you. All right, and then finally, number six, forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is, this is part of our warfare. 
there's this fascinating um, passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, where Paul wrote this to the church, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. I don't like the ESV's translation of opportunity. It's actually in the Greek, it's the word topo, which if you're familiar with backpacking um, or maps, it's a topography map, right? It's, it's, a, it's a description of place. And quite literally, this is don't give the enemy place, don't give, the oper- don't give the enemy geography in your soul because that's what you do when you harbor anger and you refuse to forgive. You are creating an extremely comfortable habitat for the demonic to fester in your soul when you refuse to forgive. So, like spiritual warfare... Yeah, it can get a little bit strange in the driving out of the demonic, but then it's really, really normal, practical, everyday stuff when we go, gosh, forgiveness is warfare. If you're holding on to bitterness, you are holding a piece of the kingdom of darkness in your soul. I beg you tonight, let it go. Forgive. Because every time you choose not to forgive, you create a comfortable place for the devil to reign in your life. I got uh, in John Mark Comer's little book, Live No Lies, he said this, and I thought, this is a great little summary of what we're talking about in the warfare section. Spiritual practices are spiritual warfare. So, when you practice Sabbath, warfare. You are warring against the enemies of hurry and greed and production and achievement. Silence and solitude. You are doing warfare. You're fighting against the enemy. So, let me just remind you of where we've been. And then, um, got a few minutes for questions. Cosmology, this is the world we live in. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. Conflict, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. Victory, victory in Jesus through the cross. He has already defeated the cosmic enemies of our soul. And now, and now, our desire, our posture, our strategy is to stand The battleground oftentimes takes place in your mind, but it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And finally, warfare. We fight by faith, identity. (laughs) What? Truth. Thank you. Truth. Resistance. Resistance. Yeah, this is good, you guys. Uh, And deliverance. And forgiveness. Those six things. Those are the ways we fight. Um, let me give you just a few resources. Number one, um, if you'd like to take a 10-hour free course on spiritual warfare, uh, I would highly recommend Gary Brashear's course on biblicaltraining.org. Like I said, it's free. So if you're intrigued and if you go, gosh, I'd love to dig into this more, I highly commend his work to you. A few books that you could read, I have them up here. Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, like I said, just came out. Uh, Soul Care by Rob Reimer. He's been somebody that's been really uh, instrumental and encouraging to me. Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Warfare by Neil T. Anderson. 
Spiritual Warfare by Timothy Warner. Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. This one will blow your mind and you can thank me later. Spiritual Authority by Rob Reimer. The Adversary by Mark Bubeck. And that's all I've got. So. Ladies and gentlemen, they, uh, let's just give him a round of applause. This, that is a lot. That. That was, that was a lot of work. I saw you trying to take pictures of those slides. Um, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put these slides in the YouTube uh, channel um, that, that uh, this, is, this is posted on right now. Okay, so it is live on there. You can share this whole presentation. We're live. Hello, YouTube. Hello, Facebook. And uh, thank you. And there's a bunch of people joining us live, but then people can watch this. And as soon as we're done, um, as soon as I can, I'm going to get that on there. And uh, some of these book rep uh, references and all that will be up there. And uh, this will be great. Now, when, here's what we're going to do. We don't have much time. We have five minutes for questions. You have put some good questions up here. And so once again, if you go back to slido.com, 332233, uh, before tonight, I need you to upvote the questions because we're going to answer the questions. It just may not be here. Okay. The next reference I want you to go to is efcc.org slash podcasts. Okay, and on there, you're going to see there's three different podcasts we have. One is our sermon podcast. One is the, is the Daily Phil podcast. And then the third is Vitology, which is, which is a little podcast that Ryan and I or whoever is the preacher that week is doing. And uh, next week, we're going to spend maybe most of the time answering some of these questions, trying to get into this a little bit more. Okay, So if you ask the question and you didn't get your answer tonight, which is going to be most of you. Okay, because I'm talking too much. All right, Ryan. Um, I, so here's what my commitment to you guys. I'm going to do my best to ask the top question, okay? And so this is a great one. It just moved to the top. Um, how do you know if my depression is or is not a spiritual attack? Hmm. Okay, now depression, you could, this could be any, anything that we're dealing with, but, but how do we know that? You don't. I, I think that would be my uh, short answer. And so here's what I would do. Um, well, I would I would deal with it on a spiritual level, and I would deal with it on a on a biological physical level, and um, and then I would also try to seek God and wise counsel to see um, which one of those treatments seem to yield the most life, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. So I I don't think there's ever any harm in asking the question: Is this potentially a spiritual thing? Right. And then pausing and listening. Jesus, is there something there? Is there something that got into my soul? That if I open myself up to the demonic in a way that is robbing me of life, is that what this is about? Um, when I'll be really uh, honest with you guys. Uh, uh, sorry. Can hey, I? Um, be honest, yeah. Man, when we first moved here uh, the second time, <laughs> uh, just, uh, just two years ago, I went through just a season of um, what I would say, like pretty uh, rough depression, and um, and I do think it was spiritual warfare. I think it was demonic, and I mean just like crazy thoughts, like you you've ruined your life. Like why did you do that? Why you know like up at night, early in the morning, um, and I it for me as I've as I've sort of deconstructed it, I went, gosh, I was in a really vulnerable spot. 
And the enemy was just coming after me, coming after me. And so, you know, I sought counseling. Um, I did a number of different things, but as I was able to get some distance from it now, certainly it, I, it was demonic. Yeah. Well, and I love, though, that, that you've, you've taught this, you've practiced this, that what you're saying is not that it's, it's, it's only because it's, it's wise to ask that question, but it's also what you're saying is wise to look into, into uh, going to a counselor. Yeah. And, you know, physical problems and, and all of that. I, I love this presentation because, and, you know, we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for us because it's, it's 8 o'clock and I know some people need to get to, to pick up kids and stuff. And so we're going to have to take the rest of these to, uh, to the podcast and we're going to go on. Um, but, uh, you know, after saying that, I, I think I feel like I'm going to pray for you. In that, cool. and I'm going to pray for us as well in just a minute. But um, what I love about this is that um, what we've seen today, we've heard that he's not saying. I mean, he's he's been very clear about that there is a reality out there, right? I, I think it's so easy for us to to kind of to kind of picture this idea as just something that they used to believe in back in the day, mm-hmm. but this is real. And this is something that we deal with. And I think there's extremes where we deal with it in only spiritual issues. And then there's extremes when we ignore them altogether. And I know that those are the two extremes. Ryan, what, what do you want this church to be? Oh, man, uh, grace and truth. I want us to be people of truth, scripture, and to say, gosh, God, if you say it, we believe it. Mm, amen. Yeah. Amen. And in regards to the battle... And the power, guys. You have authority in Jesus. Amen. 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 And so I'm so thankful to everybody that came out. And Ryan, I'm really thankful for the study and the effort and the passion that you put into this. And uh, this, this is not something that is just in a situation like this. But we need to be praying for you as our, as our pastor, as our leader, because you take, you're like at the tip of the spear for all of us. And so let's, let's be doing that. And so would you, would you join me? Would you join me going before the Lord? And uh, let's, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for an opportunity to open your scriptures together, to think about these things, to think wisely about them. And Lord God, I thank you so much for, for Ryan. Thank you for our pastor, our leader. Thank you for a, a man of God who is fighting these battles. Lord, I, I just pray. I pray that you would strengthen his faith Would you give him wisdom? Would you help him to hold on to the truth? Oh, Lord God, please. And I pray that for us. Mm -hmm. Lord, where there is, where we need deliverance, I just, I ask, Lord, that you would give it. Lord, where we need your freedom, where we battle in forgiveness. And Lord, where we practice the spiritual disciplines, which is warfare. God, would you give us victory, Lord, because we claim right now the victory that we have in Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Lord, help us to live in that Mm -hmm. today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming tonight, you guys. Um, if anyone would like prayer, I'll be up front afterwards. Yes. Josh will, Estevan will, some of our prayer team will. We'd love to pray with you. Obviously, things like th- this conversation can stir up all sorts of stuff. So we'd love to pray over you if you'd like yes. that. Thanks for yes. coming. And thank you, Esteban, for translating all of that. That it was a <laughs> monumental work in and of itself.